Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I am your host, Emma, and each week I am out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. It is also an excuse for me to reconnect with many of those who had a connection to my bookshop. One of these people is Mary Williams. Mary is a therapist, a coach and a mediator. She brought out a book last year entitled It Begins With You about being an alternative leader and the five principles to bear in mind if you want to be an alternative leader, i.e. lead from within. We managed to talk about three of the five principles, the rest you'll have to find in her book. Mary refers to herself as an optimist realist. Angie says staying authentic and getting to that true honesty place of I am who I am is so important to each and every one of us. These are Mary's thoughts on London, the world and life. Hello, this is the Travelling Through podcast and today, whoops, just dropped my glove, I am here with Mary Williams. Mary Williams. Mary Williams. <laughs> so it's Mary as in... Will you marry me? It's that pronunciation. Will you marry me? Because it's Marianne. It's Marianna. Marianna. Yeah. There is a click. Where, where is there? Let's walk now and see what happens. Okay. Can you hear a click? All good. Anymore? All good. Fine. Okay. So, just a shorter leash. <laughs> shorter leash, that's right. So I've got you on a shorter leash, uh, Mary. Um, so Mary's met me here at the British Library. So you've come from Cambridge. I have, yes. Yeah. And um, on your way to a conference. So it's fantastic that you've been able to meet up with me briefly. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so, and um, I'm, I was just trying to remember the first time that we actually met, and it was actually, should we go out? Should yes. we go out of the library? Yes. Which way are we going? Let's go out this way here. Um, the first time we, we met was actually at Travelling Through. The it bookshop. was. And lovely it was through shop. Calvin Niles. I think you were yes. coming to meet him, weren't I you? I was, because I was doing some interviews on LinkedIn at the time, so I was interviewing him. So we had a bit of a chat at the time, and oh, look, the sun's come out. How lovely. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and you recommended a number of <laughs> books to me to, for the bookshop, which was a lovely selection, which actually I did order quite a few of them, and they all sold. I did they? So, um, but I remember, that, I remember you saying that a few of them, most of the ones that you suggested uh, were quite emotionally charged books. One yes. of them particularly, um, you said, would, would make everybody cry. Ah. <laughs> that what was, did I that was the, um, the Ten Chickens. Oh, yes. Ten Chickens and a Saddle or something That's like that, one. isn't it? Yes. That's a lovely biography by uh, Robin, again, I can't remember her surname, about growing up in, uh, in Africa. Mm-hmm. Beautiful kind of portrayal. I, I mean, I just thought it was so vivid when I read it. You could see it. Um, and then goes on, obviously, to talk about the, the AIDS um, outbreak. Yes. Um, so, yeah, beautiful book. Yes, yes. And for books for you, are they <laughs> a big part of your, your what, well, big part of your growing up and a big part of, part of influencing who you are now? Yes. I mean, I, I think of myself as a girl who reads. And um, I don't know if you know the reference, but there's a wonderful spoken word poet called Mark Grist. I don't know if you've come across him. Okay, no, um, he And he does funny spoken word um, poems. Yes. And he... I've seen him live, but also you can you can actually you, you know Google him. He's on YouTube, mm-hmm. and um, he does a poem called "The Girl Who Reads," okay. and uh, it's about you know a girlfriend of his who reads everything, milk cartons and everything, and how he's <laughs> sitting down the pub with his friends and they're all saying you know I like a I like a girl's bottom or I like her boobs, 
and he's saying, I like a girl who reads. Interesting. And it's a beautiful, honestly, yeah. it's a beautiful poem. Yeah. Um, and obviously the way that he, he does it is fantastic. Yeah. Same. And uh, so I think of myself as a girl who reads. And also, when I'm working with clients, I try to help them find a sort of inner version of them which is always calm. Yeah. So whenever you're having a stressed day, you can kind of revert, almost find this version of yourself. And mine was always me as a child sitting cross-legged reading. Yes, yeah. Um, and so reading is just incredibly important to me. And I always think I would lose any other sense than the ability to read. Yeah. Because um, I just think it's wonderful escapism. Yes. And it's, it's life, isn't it? It's human, it's stories. Exactly. Um, so yes, reading is hugely important to me and, and bookshops are a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> I think with yours I came out with about five books or something did, yes. <laughs> but, um, no, that's, I mean books books for, for me growing up and I'm sure probably for mm. you was going to the library was it um it was the library but it was actually second-hand bookshops I think oh, charity it? shops yes. um my mother was a hoarder so bringing anything home that had to go back anywhere was was not something you wanted to do, um, but charity shop and actually just rereading the same books over and over again. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up loving Anne of Green Gables. Oh, um, me too. And actually, when I was well, probably about hmm, about about five six years ago now, um, I went to Prince Edward Island. Did you? Yes. yes. And looked all around and saw the places. I found it really emotional. It was like kind of coming home almost. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. It was. I forgot. Beautiful. Actually, I I actually went as well. <laughs> went Did as you? well because I was over there for a conference and I took time off uh, from Toronto, flew to um, Halifax, <laughs> yes, and then. Uh, hired a car and went, went yes. to Prince Well, that's the journey I did. Yeah, I was in, Halifax, in so. this huge car. They yes. Had, yeah, I was, I had the, a bonnet the length of, I don't know. Yes, uh, absolutely enormous. It's a huge car. and um, But it, it totally poured with rain the whole time, so oh I actually no. I couldn't get out of the car. Oh, no, really? <laughs> and I think the museum was closed. Right, okay. So it was a bit of a, oh. it was a, wish, a washout, literally. It was <laughs> lovely. But... Um, so I have to go back, I think. <laughs> oh, it is definitely worth going back. There's uh, uh, What I loved, actually, was that when you get onto the island, it's it's kind of not Anne that's popular, it's Lucy Maud Montgomery, obviously, the author. Yes. And they are so proud of her. And everywhere is about her. And you actually get to meet kind of her relatives that are still alive are and running they? those properties. Oh. Um, and I, it's just beautiful. I remember there was a, a lovely bookshop there, which I did go yes. into to escape the rain, I think. <laughs> um, so, Mary, we've we uh, having having met in the bookshop. We haven't met for, a, for quite a while. <laughs> a long while. And um, yeah. but, but when we were talking, you were just in the middle of uh, a challenge that you'd challenge yourself to to. Should we go? We can go around. Yeah. Go, go into the park. Okay, actually. let's go in the park. Park to right gardens. <laughs> um, you had challenged yourself, I believe, to <laughs> <Yes>. interview a <laughs> hundred people. I don't know whether it was. It was, Any it was 100 people in 100 days. 100 and people in 100 days. Yes, it was. Well, it was people who had gone through a challenge. And so it was talking to them about a challenge they'd been through. And that for some people, that was an illness. Some people, it was business. You know, some people, it was childhood. It could be anything. Yes. And how they'd got through it. Um, you know, what had, what had it meant for them? Yes. Um, how they got through it, what they used. Um, and then at the end, which I still ask on my podcasts, um, there were three questions about, you know, was there a book, film or piece of music that had helped them? Um, a tip for people to take away and even something to think or do. Yes. And then 
if you were standing in front of the world leaders, um, you know, what would you say to them? Which has uh -huh. been quite interesting recently. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, are those the questions you're going to be asking me when I am? <laughs> oh dear. I better start thinking. Start prepping. <laughs> so yes, it was, and I got up to 56 in the end, mm -hmm. um, because I set it as a challenge actually to bring sort of really positive energy into my life. I'd, um, my son had had glandular fever and I'd, I'd been working, but not doing any sort of business development that year. Yes. And then I had a conversation with three people who were on LinkedIn, you know, my contacts I didn't know, and just felt so energised afterwards. Yes, you It do. was just so lovely. Um, and I thought, wow, I want to invite this energy into my life. And I wasn't expecting to be busy <laughs> because I'd kind of been out of the field, as it were. Yes. Um, and then what happened was that, that actually became so popular that I was ending up spending all day every day answering the comments and fielding questions, um, and it became huge. And I, I also wrote, I think it was weekly, like my own personal journey and what it meant to me, learning from all those people and speaking, and it actually changed my life. Did um, it? Some yeah. of those people I'm still in touch with. Okay. Um, and, but I got up to the point where I just sort of woke up at four o'clock one morning having a bit of a panic attack. Uh, well, not a panic attack, but you know, an anxiety, oh, I can't breathe, um, and spoke to a friend of mine and he said, what's more important to you to kind of finish the challenge mm -hmm. or give people the time, you know, that, that they want? And I said, obviously it's the people. Yes. Um, and so actually I just drew it to a sort of close at 56 mm -hmm. because it was just taking every moment of my, my working day. Yes. And I had to obviously work. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I started the podcast again, which is almost the same Thing, come and talk about challenge and and how you got through it yeah um, but it was very powerful I think people are very powerful so your your podcast which the listeners listening at the moment is called it's called the alternative leader podcast um, and the name was that I sort of define an alternative leader as um, somebody who leads from within so they lead authentically and it might be that they lead just their own life uh, it might be they you know they lead as a partner in a relationship they might lead as a parent community or obviously a, a sort of corporate business leader yeah so the, the, when I say leader you know for me it is about almost being really consciously aware of your life you know okay. are you actually leading your life your actions your behaviors consciously thinking I think you know leading with intention is sort of how I term it okay so an alternative leader we've had people on who talked about getting stage four cancer we've people who talked about difficult childhoods you know, people who've talked about business challenges, so it's really mm. lovely. Yeah, yes. It's also very humbling, I think, when mm. you listen to other people's stories and you, you realise that quite often you're not alone in your own struggles. Absolutely. Their struggles may be very different, but the emotions are quite similar. Yeah. We're all humans, and I think it's interesting, isn't it, actually, with this, um, you know, this thing that's happened at the Oscars with um, Will Smith. Yeah. It's actually... I found it quite fascinating to watch people kind of polarise into two, you know, oh well, he shouldn't have done it, but we understand, and, and the sort of, um, you know, sort of applauding him for it. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, he's just a person like us with their own challenges and struggles. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but my take on it was, you know, but we still shouldn't be applauding that behaviour. We should be saying, how do we help you? Yeah, yes, um, exactly. So, yes, but, I mean, we're all human, aren't we? We definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. So the alternative leader is, is something that has sort of morphed into a book for you as well. Yes, yes. Um, and is this the, a book that you wrote based on um, the years of experience of coaching plus 
the podcast, plus the fact that <laughs> we were in a lockdown and there wasn't probably as much going on as there yeah. would be otherwise. Yes, that was definitely a factor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, it's actually more a therapeutic book. So obviously I'm trained as a therapist um, and a coach and a mediator. Okay. Um, so the book really, I mean, really it's a therapy book in, in, under the guise of, of sort of leadership, if I'm yes. honest. Um, but it's using leadership of ourselves or others as a focus because, I mean, how many people do we interact with? So I think when I looked at it, it's something like in a lifetime, it's something like 200,000 people. I know, it's an incredible it's, it's, it's amount It's huge. People, if you it? just think even just smiling at somebody or talking to a cashier, you have affected somebody's emotional state. Yes. And so from my point of view, it's, you know, if we could all work from our best emotional states, um, we would effectively have that ricochet effect onto others mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And um, that's kind of how the book came across. So I, what I realised was, A, I had clients saying to me, please can you write a book? Because I can't remember everything you've told me to tell all my friends. Um, so that was rather lovely. Yes. And then um, I was actually on a, a business course and they were sort of talking about people writing books. And I said, oh, I can't write a book because everything I do is so individual which it very much is, it's very much a kind of bespoke system. Yeah. But I did realise that there were five things I always talked about to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and so they became the five principles of the book. So they are understanding how you think. So actually when you just understand how your mind works, how it gets into thought patterns and, and creates memories, actually, again, you can just instantly drop a lot of guilt of some of your behaviours. Definitely. You stop self-punishing. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that was the first thing to explain to people just how that system works. The second is called Clear Your Past. Mm -hmm. And it's why, you know, why is a, let's say a corporate leader, why is your imposter syndrome actually related to an event when you were five years old at school? <laughs> um, so again, it's explaining those links, which is often where most people get their kind of wow moments. And it's so true no. it's that how the past can just drag yes. behind you, but it's always with you, almost like anchoring yes. you down yes. and stopping you moving forward. Uh, a lot of emotions attached to all our, our past experiences, yeah. good and bad. Absolutely, actually. absolutely. I mean, our past creates us, really. Even yesterday creates part of today. So, you know, actually, you never really escape your past. So if there's issues in there that are causing you struggles and problems... Yes, right. It's very loud, isn't it? <laughs> it's got that right vibration, yeah, it hasn't it? Okay. I think it must be a, a plane coming to Sydney Airport. Anyway, it's vibrating, Yes. Yes. So if you're actually always living your past, then anything that's in your past that's affecting you being that version of yourself that you kind of know you should be yes. or want to be then from my point of view, then you need to go and get that sorted out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I sort of describe my work kind of inelegantly, really, I think, as, you know, if you're not the version of yourself that you want to be, then come and do some work. Yeah. You know, it's really that basic. Yes. Um, and so the third um, principle is self-worth. Um, and because I think actually a lot of people don't realise how important self-worth is, they kind of mistake it for confidence. And so we can be confident in lots of areas, but our self-worth might still be really low. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you might be a really confident public speaker, but your self-worth is still low. Yeah. And actually, it's the centre of the book because I think it's the centre of us. It's almost like a core that goes, you know, runs down the middle of us. And if you don't have it, it just affects every single decision that it, you ever make. Yeah, I think for sure. And, and I think it's sort of, it, it always raises its ugly head when you least want it to. Yes. And, and it makes you suddenly doubt yourself 
Mm. Uh, um, and it normally does raise its head when you're having to make a, a, a tricky yes. decision. And that's the thing. And everybody's looking at you. If <laughs> life is going easily, then you can stay in your kind of rational brain. Yes. And, you know, they say we're run 90% by our unconscious brain. So if you're living in your 5% conscious brain, making the, you know, good decisions that you know you should be making, that's fine. But the minute life becomes at all challenging, yes. you will default to what is going on in, in your unconscious. Yes, yes. Uh, and your unconscious is running you, you know, almost every day anyway, all day, every day. So actually, if you've got stuff in it that, that then isn't useful to you in those challenging times, when you need to be making the best decisions that are right for you, then, then, then you're going to hit a wall, mm. aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yep, so, sure. and, but I think actually people understanding that, because we don't really talk about the concept of self-worth, do we? We don't talk about it at school, we don't really talk about it at friends. We say, oh, I'm not confident, but they're yeah. actually very different things. Um, and how do, how do yeah. you go about then exploring whether you have a good understanding of yourself and you do have self-worth? I think big question, sorry. sorry. Yeah, it is a big question. <laughs> I think it's a difficult one. I mean, even even working with people, you know, for me, often people come in and have a history session with me. So that's just a free session where we talk for everything. Yeah. And for me, it's really easy to go, oh, okay, you know, you're, you've bought these 12 topics, but I can see they're all actually self-worth. And that's what we need to work on. Yes. I think it comes down to, do you actually love and value yourself? Do you think you have worth? And not answering that from the rational, of course, of course I have, of course I love myself, of course I have great self-worth, but actually digging down and going, but do I really believe that? Do I believe I'm worthy of good partners? Do I believe I'm worthy of good things? You know, mm. do I believe that I am loved? And not reliant on what other people think of you. Yeah. So a lot of people I see, you know, the issue is that actually often their parents haven't had great modeling and haven't felt loved. And then they pass that because they don't have that ability to pass it down. They don't know how to do it. Yeah, yes. Um, so actually a client I was talking to today had exactly that. You know, parents who'd gone through difficult circumstances as children had no modeling. Mm-hmm. And then they've not been able to model to him good self-worth. Yeah. So actually then you just get this continuous knock-on effect. So I always say to people, look up. Look up at your parents, look at your grandparents, great grandparents if you know anything about them. And you'll probably see the pattern of what you're struggling with. Yeah, interesting. And so, okay, third, that's principle number three. <laughs> yes. Um, so principle number four is um, called the nuances of control. And it's looking at how we, how we manage our self-control. So, you know, are we addicted to things? Do we, do we not let ourselves sleep enough? You know, how do we actually self-care? Yes, yes. Um, how do we control our needs and desires? And then it's how do we control others? And then how do we allow ourselves to be controlled? Okay. Um, and again... That's a very interesting one, isn't it? So, all of those things yeah. flare up. Yep, yep. Um, for us in, 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 again, many different ways. And again, you know, the book is, um, you know, talking about leadership. So again, you know, in your, in your relationship, actually, how much equality is there? How much do you try and control your partner without even thinking about it? So mm-hmm. I came out of a very chaotic childhood and I've been married twice and I'm sure they would both say that I was quite controlling. <laughs> um, and, and controlling in a kind of, this is the way the house is going to be run. This is, you know, because actually that was my, that was the pattern I had learnt. Yes. was control everything. And I see this repetitive in difficult ch- childhoods. I always say, say to people, it's almost as if you're kind of putting your hands out and going, I must just hold everything down, <laughs> yeah. control everything. And, and that's actually quite a beautiful journey to let people go on to release that control. So okay. I have a partner now and actually we're very equal, but he's very nurturing of me, okay. which is something I've had to literally learn to allow 
is to someone to help me, someone to do things for me, because it's not a model I ever had. Yes, yes. Um, so control is fascinating. How, how did you, how how did you personally? Um, suddenly become aware of that? Was it lots of work. Okay, so <laughs> lots, it wasn't lots the third of work. partner coming along? No, and I'm saying, oh, no. I mean, actually, part, in part, I guess, the yes, there was an element of him saying, it's okay for you to ask me to lift that bag or carry that box or ask for your, you know, it's okay. Yes. And I think also as a woman, on top of kind of whatever you've got from your childhood, there is a lot around, don't ask for help, the, the strong independent woman label. Yes. And actually, you <laughs> It's okay for anybody to just say, I should need some help. Yes. I need some yes. help here, male or female, yes. um, you know, any gender. And I think we are still very trapped in that. And so I often feel, like, I don't know if you feel this, but really torn between the, I could do it myself, but actually then it would be nice if someone helped me to do that. And, and so at the moment I was saying to you, you know, I've, I've pulled my back a, sort of mm. a few months ago and literally just lifting my suitcase out today. My partner sort of said to me, don't lift the suitcase. <laughs> I was like, well, I have to lift it around London. He went, but you don't have to lift it now. No, yes, and yes. it is just that when you're somebody who's used to looking after yourself so much, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to yep. let that. So yes, it's been partly a kind of conscious, um, but also just a lot of the work I've done on myself, yeah. allowing me to recognize that I am, you know, my self-worth is good. I value myself, I'm happy with myself. And, so I yeah. can ask. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not a sign of weakness. No, I think that's the thing, isn't it? How do you how do you view what you're asking in, to yourself? So sometimes yeah. it's, it is it's it is that thing, isn't it? Saying, oh, if I ask somebody, I'm going to be come across as a weak, pathetic yes. female. When in fact, yeah. actually, no, I just need help because it's heavy, and I'm not as strong as the person yeah. over there who's six foot tall and got yeah. big muscles. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, I have I have um, you know I have three sons. And uh, part of my 16-year-old, who's probably the smallest, you know, the other two, they're big strapping boys. They are physically stronger than me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm 48. <laughs> I've pulled my back. Yeah. Actually, yeah. it's, you know, I have now moved to a point where I just won't lift anything, um, you know, if there's somebody else who's more able-bodied around me. Yeah. Um, and I think it, yeah, I think it is a really challenging journey, especially for somebody who is a very independent person male or female mm -hmm. and I see this a lot with with men who come as clients and it is that kind of you know I've had men sit there and try not to cry when they're telling me how distressed they are and then just say oh, I'm just being so pathetic and my heart sort of breaks really because it's like you're not being pathetic you're telling me how you feel yeah you know how, yes. how, why is how you feel pathetic yeah it's so sad isn't it um well yeah. I suppose it, it's also um the schooling as well quite often yeah. is we're told to you know stiff up a lip you get through this and it's yeah. very competitive and it's all about not being seen to be weak yes and always being trying to be the strong yeah. person um and if you if you do show a chink in your armor mm. then people will sort of dive in there and go yeah. oh look you're so weak or yes. she's so weak and and i think actually for men it's almost been more insidious than it has for women um, because women, in some respects, were kind of allowed to say, can you carry this for me? And, you know, we're yes. kind of allowed to step into that model. Yes. Um, but actually, men were not allowed. No. And, no. and the amount of male clients I've seen who actually were told, you know, boys don't cry, yes. pull yourself together, yes. man up, you know, all of this stuff. And um, oh, I'm trying to think who it is. There's a character from Peep Show, Jeremy, what's his name? I can't remember. He's written a book and he talks in there about Basically, there's this beautiful moment with his stepfather when he's growing up and his mother's died. And, 
and his stepfather struggling and he said there's just this moment where basically they just need to both be emotional and honest yes. and they're not and it means that he ends up moving out um, oh. and the whole thing I think it's called something how not to be a boy I think it's okay. called okay. Um, but I think it's only now that men are even acknowledging that that's messaging they've had Yes. And, and then again, it's, it's almost as, you know, it's as difficult for them yes. as it has been for us to be able to say, well, actually, OK, I am a strong and independent woman. Yes. But actually, I also need help sometimes. <laughs> so it's, yes, we've kind of, we've messed ourselves up a bit here, yeah. really, I think. But how, how did you get into the, the whole um, sort of uh, subject area of therapy and coaching? yourself is that come from so it was a background yeah of... it was childhood okay so I, I sort of had a really difficult childhood um, my mum my mother's d um, dead now but um, probably had bipolar and BPD um, and you know just struggled struggled with life yeah um, but obviously BPD. you know um, borderline personality disorder okay um, sorry That's all right. <laughs> and, uh, um, and you know it just generally didn't really cope with with life particularly yes. well but went on to have four children by four different men. Um, okay. You know, two of whom she married, two whom she didn't. Um, you know, it was a very chaotic childhood. Um, and she was quite physically abusive without meaning to be, so not in a malicious way, just in a I can't control my emotions way. Yes. And therefore just neglectful as a parent. And so I came out of that, um, you know, and I have a lot of affection for my mum. <laughs> I've kind of worked through my stuff, but yes. I came out of that thinking, there's definitely going to be damage. I just had that awareness and became a, you know, I got pregnant at 16 and became a mother at 17. Wow. Three children by the age of 21. Oh my goodness. Um, and another two, you know, in my 30s and I yes. was married for the second time. Yes. And I just wanted to be the mother my mother hadn't been. So from a very early age, you know, I did parenting courses, I read parenting books. And I think it just came from that. Um, because you know good parenting books mention how you are as a mother and what your emotions are and lead you down that journey of self-reflection um, and then I got into my early 30s I originally wanted to train to be a teacher and I did all of the training and then didn't like teaching um, I, to be honest you'll, you'll smile at this I wanted to be a teacher of English because I wanted to read to children and um, help That's them have lovely. a love of reading um, and I did actually get to do some reading I had a very um, forward-thinking mentor yes but ultimately that's not what <laughs> it was not what teaching is these days no no um, it's sort of like running a bookshop yes. you want to have a place that are filled with books and you're going to read all day and you're going to yeah. talk to people the customers about books but the reality is I never well I read very few books having yes. a bookshop yeah certainly spoke to a lot of a lot of customers but it was more like um a, a counselling session yes. <laughs> for people coming yes. in, but but that was the beauty of having a bookshop and how people viewed a yeah. bookshop was it was a place of a safe haven that they could let their emotions out yeah. and feel I, that it would be. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think um, especially small bookshops. Yeah. Um, you know they are there. They for me they're like a balm to my soul. If I'm <laughs> if I'm in town and feeling stressed, I will wander into a bookshop and just just be there for ages yeah, you know it's it's, yes. it's a soothing space definitely, um, definitely so I agree but um, yes it was just a journey of um, getting into my 30s I then went on a parenting course which was run by a coach and a therapist so it just went deeper more sort of experiential learning and um, and I thought wow this is what I want to do it made me cry a lot that course <laughs> um, and I thought this is what I want to do and so I struck out and became a parent coach 
Um, I then ended up getting a job because I had sort of lots, of, lots of little children, and I went to work in uh, 13 schools, two secondaries and 11 primaries, um, where I worked as a sort of coach really for the mothers, but also for the children okay. um, and fathers. And I ran a parenting course. Yeah. Um, and they, and I realised that actually what I was doing was helping the parents sort out their childhood baggage, um, so. so that they could be better parents. Yeah. So I realised that that's actually what I was doing. Okay. Um, and then when I, I basically, lots of things changed. I had a fantastic boss and he was leaving. And actually the parents that had been coming on the parenting course had started to say to me, you know, we're actually using what you're teaching us on the parenting course. Um, we're using it in the workplace. And would you come and do some, you know, workshops for our, you know, talk about communication. Yes, yes. Um, you know, people's teams are improving because they were applying the same communication techniques. Yeah the parenting course to their teams interesting and so I went out obviously privately and it's kind of just escalated from there so you know leadership found me really mm-hmm. um, but I'm just I'm really really passionate that as many of us as possible feel better because we do butterfly it in that ricochet effect to just everybody else you know that we're with and I think you know, even you know I think I was saying to you, you know, about a conversation I'd had in the left luggage office you know if I'd been in a bad mood or not a good place I wouldn't have bothered to have engaged that man in conversation yes and we wouldn't have had a laugh together yeah yeah, and actually that's something I've already passed that little story he told me on to other people and made them laugh yeah yeah, and so you know when you look at that ricochet effect it's so vital especially when you're running families and companies and you know even yourself you should be happy yes no no absolutely and in fact I had a uh, conversation with one of my previous podcast guests, Paul Kay, and he was talking about just smiling at a stranger yeah. and just whether they smile back or yeah. not, that makes a difference. And, and mm. if, even if you make one other person, or it has an effect that someone else smiles back at you. It does, you, yeah. You have a, it changes your day yeah. as well. Yeah. I know when people have smiled at me just spontaneously, yes. you go, Oh, yeah. that's really nice. And it and you changes your, your chemistry. It literally Absolutely. changes your body chemistry. Yeah, yeah. And I find actually, when they do smile at me, it's normally when I'm having a bit of a tough moment mm. and I'm, I'm in my own thoughts. And it's almost like they knew. Yes. And they smile and it just pulls me out of it. Yes. And, and you realise, you know, the yeah. human instinct is there that yeah. people want you to feel okay. Yes. There's a, a brilliant book, I don't know if you've read it, called um, Kindness. I think it's called Kindness. Um, or How to Be Kind. I can't remember, it's a very, very big book by, I think his name is Rutger Bregman. I probably massively mispronounced that. (laughs) Um, But um, he talks about how there's this whole concept of veneer theory, you know, that we're all after each other under this, you know, this thin veneer of kind of niceness, actually. We're all, um, you know, we're all these kind of evil people trying to bring each other down. And actually he just, he goes back through all of the research and stories that have have um, kind of been used to evidence that yeah and actually says hang on a minute actually there's this evidence this part of the research which was never publicized and this is actually the truth of the situation um, and shows that actually people you know look after each other and care for each other a lot um, and it's a beautiful book to read it will restore your faith in humanity oh, okay um, it's lovely. Okay, I will, I will uh, look that one out and I, also I just remembered now that there were two books that you also mentioned for the bookshop which I got uh, written by Matt Haig yes um, one called human human the humans, the humans I think it is yes and I forget the other one um, 
trying to think what other I ones fo- he's I got. follow him on, on Instagram and he, he's, he has a pretty tough ride. I don't yes. think he's, he's particularly no. well man himself. And um, to be able to produce books like mm. that as well. As, uh, it, he, I think he did one called How to Stay, How to Stay Alive. I think that was one of his first mm. ones. And he talks about um, his breakdown. Um, and I loved the book. The only thing I felt was that I felt he skipped over, you know, that kind of awful darkness. He, he kind of went, oh, and then, you know, a few months later, kind of this is the thing that picked me up. And I thought, actually, for people who are going through that dark period, that's hard yes. because you're kind of skipping, skipping that bit they're going through. But the humans I loved because, and I'm not going to spoil it for your listeners, um, because at the end, you're still not quite sure about that main character okay um so i don't know if you you've read it but um it's it's a wonderful kind of take on this character you're just not sure who the character is i can't really say a lot yeah but um but you get to the end and you kind of go oh so was he this yeah yeah, and and actually i think you're left to make up your own mind okay actually about that all right, intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the I other one was how to stop time. That's, that's the it. other one. Yes. That was the other one. Because it had the um, egg timer <laughs> yes. on the front. Yes, that's the one. Yes. Okay. We're in a very interesting part of London. I had never been down here no, before. No, it's lovely. Flaxman Terrace and Cheeks Road, part of Camden, WC1. They're almost like we're, we're stepping back in time yes. here, isn't it? It's a bit like uh, the sort of, what's it called? The Diagonal Alley in uh, Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. that kind of beautiful yes. little shop yes. front, yes. isn't yes. it? Yes. So, Mary, with your work then, um, you're now almost completely dealing with, or your clients are adults rather than children. Yeah, so I, so I that stepped transition away. To, is mm. it, was that because emotionally, is it easier for you to, to um, coach or yeah. work with therapy? Right therapy, yes. Yeah, so I tend, most of my work now has a deep therapeutic basis. So almost always the first few sessions I do with somebody will be around shifting their emotional baggage and that's therapeutic. And then we move to a more coaching stance as they as they get more healthy. Yes. Um, and then actually blended into that are bits of my mediation training. So we might be looking at actually how they manage conflict in the workplace or, you know, how they manage talking to a member of their team. So it's a what I love about it is because of my experience, anybody I work with, I can sometimes be helping them with parenting advice and yeah. then sometimes it's you know how to how to manage your your emotional state in a billion dollar deal situation <laughs> so it's it's complex and I love that I can can give them that holistic um, viewpoint because what I found and saw was that lots of people go to coaches yeah and they kind of scratch the surface but don't know what to do with it okay. um, and so actually you just you just always need a bit of therapy as well yeah. and that's coming from somebody who trains the coach first Okay. Um, and so the move away from children was partly that I left the school job. Um, but I just realised, to be honest, I loved the complexity of adults. I loved it. Um, and, you know, children are lovely, but I also have had five of them. Um, <laughs> um, and so I just felt I'd done it a lot. Yes, yes. Um, and actually it was, it was more me wanting to move to being around adults more. Okay. Um, so I did continue to see children on and off if they were sort of the child of a client for a while. Yes. Um, but actually then just decided that I'd moved so far away from that area um, and just, you know, my own children growing up and <laughs> giving me problems as a parent. Yeah. But I just loved working um, with adults and was naturally sort of being sort of, I, I think of it like a wave just being carried into the leadership space 
so it was it was more corporate people it was more senior leaders it was um, you know people wanting to kind of be better leaders themselves and I just find that fascinating okay do, do you find yourself then very much being uh, your, your work coming through word of mouth then from yes. one client to the next so I think I, I feel I've been quite lazy in running a business <laughs> to be honest um, you know I do do videos and I do have content obviously that I put out on social media um, but I, I meet people, so pre-COVID, you know, I'm an extrovert, um, although I'm definitely less of an extrovert now, I have to say. Um, but I'm an extrovert. I love people, I love their stories, I love meeting them. Mm-hmm. So for me, a networking event is just a wonderful chance to, to meet lots and lots of people. Yeah. So I think that's how I've met people. Yeah. But lots and lots of um, referrals um, from obviously happy clients. And then, interestingly, lots of people finding me on Google. Um, oh, especially wow. from the US, which is interesting. And so I do have clients all over the world yes. um, who I always worked with Zoom anyway, so that was never a big change for me during COVID. Um, but, yeah. So the, the, um, th- through the COVID period, you were writing your book, but did you still have clients then at that time? Yeah, so it... So were you as affected as, yeah. um, as others? So it did, it definitely dropped down initially, um, definitely dropped down. I did, like other people, I think have a bit of a, oh gosh. Um, but I had the clients I was obviously already seeing. Yes. I had actually just taken on a batch of clients and I work in programs, so I work over sort of four, eight or 12 months. Okay. Um, so I had just taken on um, some clients anyway. And in fact, I ended up working with them way past their program ends because they just needed a bit more support due to COVID. So yes, that, that was yes. fine, I was a bit quieter. Um, and yes, I had kind of more time on my hands. And I'm going to be honest, for the first six weeks, I went, my life is over. <laughs> you know, my business I worked for is over and had a bit of a, you know, woe is me. As I'm sure a lot, of people, I think a lot of people did. did. Yes. Um, and then after six weeks, I thought, well, actually, you're a single parent. So <laughs> you can pull yourself up a little bit yeah. and sort this out. Um, mm-hmm. Or you won't have a roof over your head in six months time. Um, and it, I, I'm really, I'm quite, uh, I'm quite a realist. So I call myself an optimistic realist. Um, and and then actually when I sort of thought about the time I thought well hang on I have this I have this book plan yes um, which I have not been able to start Um, I'd been in a group where some other people have been writing books and I'd just not been able to get the traction of time yeah and I thought well okay actually the one thing I can do is write the book Um, and so I sat in my summer house in my garden um, and wrote the book all through the summer told the children I was going to ignore them um, (laughs) and they had way too many takeaways (laughs) <laughs> and wrote for sometimes 16 hours a day. Um, oh my goodness, that's really hard. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, I loved the writing and it was yeah. summer and I was happy out in my summer house. Um, yeah. And I was really lucky that my partner, we, we don't live together, but due to COVID had moved in with me. Yes. And I say lucky for me, he'd been made redundant uh. and is an amazing copywriter. So at the time wasn't, but I realised that he did, you know, was always commenting on my misusage of commas and full stops and things so I said oh would you would you help me behind and so he did all of the editing mm-hmm. um, and any copywriting and was constantly coming up to me and saying what are you trying to say here <laughs> I said well I'm saying this well that's not what you're saying and actually since then we've realized that I'm dyslexic so the way that I often speak yes. and write is different yes and so he was brilliant at picking that up and so actually I encouraged him to open his own business so that's what he now does that oh, from, my goodness. Okay. from editing my book and so he's done lots of books and so it was this lovely tag team where I would write, he would edit, and then I had um, I, I hybrid published. 
So I had a wonderful editor in a publishing company who would, you know, come back to me and say, I think we should use this structure. And, and so it was, a, it was a very full time, sort of almost three to four months of solid working, yes. which I just never would have been able to have done as well as I was able to do it okay. at any yeah. other time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have lots of other books in my head, but I kind of think, oh gosh, because <laughs> I'd kind of love to almost repurpose the book content for teens. Um, just because I think they don't have a lot of this information and wouldn't it be lovely yes. if we did? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, even even for, for just as you're leaving school, if I yes. read something, I mean, I'm, I'm still halfway through the book, I have to admit. <laughs> I haven't right. got to the end yet. <laughs> but if I had read this book just after I'd finished school, I think that would have, it would have had a yeah. great impact. And yeah. it had given me almost like um, a foundation as a, as a very young adult. Um, to, to to sort of go out into the world and explore yeah. explore life. I think I think nobody nobody explains to kids or teens what's going on. Yeah. They don't explain their brain. They don't explain about fight, flight, freeze. They don't explain what anxiety is. Yes. You know, they don't explain that things are normal. Um, and certainly, you know, watching my children's journey, actually. Yes, if I could go back, my oldest children, you know, this is the information I'd be giving them. Yeah. And so sort of even though I don't really work with children, you know, my, in it, one of my sort of plans this year is actually to bring out a parenting course, um, you know, that will help parents parent better by understanding yes. a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I do work occasionally with sort of 18 to 20 year olds. And it is, it's like, it's like kind of opening another door they never knew existed. Mm. And I see them sort of start to beautifully, you know, bound parents that are a bit difficult or really move into that adult space, much better informed yeah. than, than, than certainly I was. Yes. Um, I think that yeah. also it's the fact that, that as a child, you know, your parents are, they are the ones that you look to for the yes, no, the right answer. Yeah. And, and they are the, the oracle, basically. Yes. Yeah, I mean whether, whether they are still in the same way with social with social media mm. and all the tools that they mm. have at their hands now. I don't know whether that's changed for for children, but certainly when we were growing up, yeah, they yes, were the oracle, were. and and whatever they said, mm. we didn't question it no. really, or, or there'd be an encyclopedia, <laughs> <laughs> but there certainly wasn't Google, no, uh, and certainly there wasn't questions you can ask. It was, you either asked your friends about emotions or you yeah. kept it to yourself yeah and and um so i don't know some, in some ways the world has changed for for, for children growing up mm. to what we had whether it's better or not mm. i don't know but um it's just different i think i mean i i personally my view is that it's worse <laughs> um i think i yeah. think it's better for some for some people who really you know struggle to have access outside people who have disabilities people who really could work but couldn't work from home yes. i think there's a huge amount and i love google just because i'm an i'm a knowledge seeker so anything i don't know i'm like oh let me find out yes, <laughs> and, you know yes. i'm constantly on it but i do think for children it's been really awful um and i think it's interesting having had so my, my older children are uh, 32 uh, nearly 13, 28, and then I have 16 and 18, so I've been able to see the difference in that, just a decade between yes, them. Yes. Um, and my, my son is 28 and he hates mobile phones. He thinks they're awful. They've had a terrible effect on this generation. Um, they don't go out to play. Remember we used to go out to play? Yes. They don't go out to play anymore. You know, it's all online. Yeah. My son's 16, he comes home, sits on his computer, does his homework, you know, you don't see him. And it's only if he can sort of drag his friends out do they go out. But a lot of his friends don't want to go out because they're on their computer. Yeah. So I just think, actually, I think the school remit has to change a bit. 
and we need to talk about brain development yeah. and we need to talk about diet more and health and, and they cover it a little bit but in so much more detail but I think even things like um, meditation and yoga yeah. and I'm terrible at meditation so I don't particularly even recommend it I think our lives should be so calm there is a bit of meditative I mean almost like yeah. us walking here yes it's, medita- it's kind of calming and meditative that's what I th- that's what I you think is meditation comes in many forms yes for some it has you have to sit cross-legged on the floor yeah. and go um and or just yeah. you know breathe but for me, it's washing up at the kitchen window yes. and looking out yeah. at the trees. And, and, that, and I think that's what I think it should be. Yeah. If you think about tribal things, it, you know, yes, some people do sit kind of cross-legged. But actually, yeah. I think just if you look way back, just hunting puts you into a very particular zone. Foraging puts you into a particular zone. You know, making a chair puts you, in, you know. Yes. We were meditative and in con- connected to our planet, to our our world and I do think that we've all lost that yeah no, no, um, definitely. we need really in part to bring that back and actually when you look at um, you know there's been lots of research in schools recently where instead of getting detention they get meditation oh, interesting. Um, okay. and they do yoga and things like that and yeah. actually those schools have a measurable a measurable drop in poor behavior interesting um, so it's like why are we not just doing this yeah. why are we not helping people learn to calm themselves. So one of the things I see in adults a lot is an inability to self-soothe. Yeah. Which means they pick the wrong partners because they don't want to be alone. Yes. They're, they're constantly on the go because they don't want to be alone. Yeah. And, and actually, still so many people falling asleep with, say, the light on or the TV on. Yeah. So they do not know how to self-soothe. And, and I was definitely one of those, and it led me into choosing the wrong partners um, and learning to actually be able to be okay in my own space. Being an alternative leader, comes in many forms I know it's sort of it's leading from within mm. and are you suggesting then that whether you are running a business or you're running a family mm. or, or you're just running yourself yeah. really in your own independence the same principles apply or do you think they're different depending on what your focus is no so I think I think what I feel is that the core you should be the same um, and I talk about this in the book um, where sort of I say 90% of the you that you present in life anywhere should yeah. be you yes. because otherwise it can feel really incongruent to you you know that you're this different version of yourself with different people yeah um, so you often see this when people bring all their friends together and the friends will say oh you know they're very different sets of friends yes. because they see a very different version of this person Whereas I think when I bring my friends together, actually, they all tend to get on because ultimately I'm who I am, wherever I am. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so I think you start from this concept of this is me, this is who I am. You know, I either fit into this workplace or I don't. I fit into this relationship or I don't. So I'm, I sort of encourage people to say you should go from what, who you are yeah. and, and the life that's right, the people that are right, will find you. Yes. Um, and, and yes, when you found that, then, then you have this kind of 10% which switches so obviously I'm different with you now than I am with my children, than yeah. I am with my partner, than I am with a client. Um, and it's one of the reasons I love the work I do, because actually if you change one thing, lots of things change. You yes. don't have to work on so many things. So I think it, for me, it's about you being who you are, your values, your beliefs, your behaviours that you are happy with. And that's the state I want to get people to, that you're happy with who you are. And that when you have those in situ, effectively, you are that person wherever you go yeah. 90% of, of the time. So yes. sort of 90% of you. 
And then obviously there's, you know, the kind of 10% uh, where I'm different with you, I'm different with my child, I'm different with my partner, I'm different with my clients, because that's appropriate. Yes, yes. Um, and so, but it's staying authentic. So, you know, often if you, yes, you meet uh, the friends of, you know, a friend of yours, you might think, oh, that's interesting, like we wouldn't gel, because they're seeing a really different side of that friend. And, and sometimes that's still very healthy. You might have friends that come from a particular sport, let's say, that you don't play. But when people are actually very different versions of themselves in different situations, mm -hmm. it can be really jarring for them. Yeah. Um, almost to the point of I wear these clothes, you know, here and I wear these clothes here. Yes. And so for me, it is about getting people to that really, I call it a true honesty place where I am who I am, whether I'm, you know, making a billion dollar deal or I'm hanging out with my kids or I'm talking to somebody homeless or, you know, I am who I am yes, um, yes. and I am authentic to myself. And then what I'm doing is stepping into what I think of it like a different skill set. Yes. So actually as a mother, there is a slightly different way I need to be of course, to be a yeah. mother with a client. There is a slightly, you know, different way I need to be, but ultimately they are still seeing me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was having a, a, a client who had gone through stuff and was saying, you know, shall I share it with my team? And I said, well, it depends whether you want to share it with your team. Um, also, it depends, have you measured, kind of mentally measured, whether your team will respond to that information? Yeah, yeah. Because you are in a position, you know, of leadership here. And one of the things I see a lot in the media at the moment is about being 100% yourself in every situation. But that isn't always, actually, that isn't always okay. No. You know, so... Or possible. Or possible. And, and I think, actually, it is about, it is about understanding your audience, Yes, you know, whatever yeah. that audience is, whether it's your children, your friends, your team, and saying, is it appropriate for, for this to be shared? Um, and this, again, I had somebody recently who wanted to share something with his team about somebody else in the team being, being let go um, and gave them sort of all the details. And what he was trying to show actually was camaraderie with the team. Yes. Um, but, but actually afterwards I was saying, that's really difficult for your team to hear that, to hear every little minute detail of why that person was let go. Yes. And I understand what you were doing, but actually some people found that too much information. Yes. And it was a really lovely reflective point for him to be able to go, ah, oh, okay. So actually half the people in the room thought that was great, but half the people in the room really struggled with that level of detail. Okay. Was yeah. there a middle position where he could have still been really authentic yes. and yeah. said, this has happened, but not given so much detail that the others struggled, but not given too little. And, and I think that for me is life. <laughs> Yes. It's about how do I remain authentic to myself, you know, being the true version of myself out in the world, but with this understanding that I do affect others. As much as we were saying, we affect others by smiling at them. We affect others by telling them our stuff. Yes, yeah, yes. And how we are in our moods. And it's also respecting the fact that everybody will view what, what you say in very different ways. They will. Their interpretation <laughs> it will be different depending yeah. on their own character and their own yes. sort of... Uh, filters and experiences yes, yeah, and yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely and for yourself are you a work in progress or do you think you are a good <laughs> alternative leader in 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 your if you are talking to yourself okay do you so, stand in front of the mirror and say <laughs> I, am. I am <laughs> um so i think i think in some respects that's probably yes to both um because i don't think you have to be perfect i don't think you're ever done I, I, you know, no. I hope that even on my deathbed, I'm thinking, whoa, what, what will I think about this? <laughs> so I, I hope that I will always have curiosity of mind. Yes. Um, and so I always say to people, it's interesting when people come, I often say to them, out of 10, how much do you like yourself? 
and you don't have to be perfect. In fact, you could look at your life right now and think, nothing, nothing is going the way I want it to go. But you know, I really like myself. I recognise that I'm trying. I recognise that I'm thinking about things. I recognise that I'm intentional in my life. And so I do like and love myself. So I might be a 10. And I think people look for perfection. Mm-hmm. And so do I look at myself? No, I look back and think I've made big parenting mistakes in the past that, you know, I was on a learning journey. I was very young, yes. you know, young mum. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure I've offended people in my life. I'm sure I've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. Hindsight is a beautiful concept, isn't it? Yes. So do I think I'm uh, what I would term an alternative leader? Yes, I lead very much authentically, possibly too much so sometimes, still <laughs> learning. Um, but I lead very authentically. So yes, I do, but I hope that I will always be a work in progress. Yes, but don't you think that we would have to be, we will have to be anyway, because Mm -hmm. life is always putting new experiences in front of us, and therefore it's a new set (laughs) of emotions quite often, and therefore we're having to re-evaluate. The core will stay the same, Mm. but we're we're having to re-evaluate our emotions in certain situations and perhaps um, adjust who we are. I think that people who are aware Yes, I would 100% agree with that. But I still do meet people who don't have any level of Mm self-reflection. And I remember working with a CEO a few years ago and she was in her 50s. And we were just talking, just reflecting about her childhood. And she said, I've never sat down and thought about why I might be the way I am. And I just remember thinking, really? (laughs) Because I don't know how not to do that. (laughs) You know, and it's just different minds. And I think also people have been through stuff um, traumatic or otherwise, some people are very, very good at just locking down their emotions. You know, they drop a wall down, they don't think about the experience, or they just fit it into their box. Yes. So a completely new experience that takes them completely out of their comfort zone comes along and they either go, no, I'm not doing it, um, or I'm certainly not emotionally engaging with it. Yeah. And then that leads to lack of communication and, and lots of other problems with those around them. Yeah. So for me, a good leader is almost somebody who can stand there in any situation and go, I'm really not quite sure what I'm doing. Um, but I'm definitely going to be aware of what I'm doing yeah. and I'm going to keep trying and keep reflecting and keep thinking. It's not somebody who has to get everything right all the time. And I, and I still think that is a culture, certainly in corporate leadership. You know, we often see people in the media, they make a mistake and then they're fired. Yeah. So uh, for me, it is about looking at what you're doing and just staying really, yes. really, really aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Also having to face it. Yeah. Yeah, and deal yeah. with the consequences. And because isn't that where we learn? Yeah. When things go wrong, that's where we learn. Definitely. So in your life, how many alternative leaders have you met who, who, are, who were already pretty well established <laughs> within themselves and didn't really need much from you, but didn't re- recognise it in themselves? I think they actually didn't need any work. I don't know that I've met any, because I think there's always work to be done. Yeah. Um, I've definitely met people where, where I've literally said, actually, I'm not even going to bother running you through a whole programme. Actually, I will do a couple of sessions with you because it's just this couple of tweaks. Yes. Um, so I've definitely met people like that. I think in the corporate space, not that many, Okay. actually. Yeah. Um, what I've actually found is the higher up the chain you go, the more distressed people are. Yeah. And the more they're struggling and, uh, you know, the more they're hitting burnout. Um, and I think that's worrying <laughs> because those people are often, you know, making big life-changing decisions for all of us, yeah. actually. Um, and we see some of those like, leaders out in the world, you know, today. Yeah. So I think it is interesting that, yes, the further up the chain you go, actually, almost the worse it gets. So if you could choose one person 
maybe two people mm. that you would like to coach you'd like to just <laughs> bring in and say look sit down here mm. who would they be um currently uh putin <laughs> if i'm really honest okay yes um good you know whether he'd be good open choice. to that or not yes <laughs> that's yeah. a different thing um but absolutely I, I would i would love to you know get in there because if you got him feeling a bit happier i think lots of things would change yes um and i think oh, who would the second be that's a really interesting question maybe a female mm. i would actually be really interested in working with um actually there's a couple um i'd be really interested in working with jacinta arden I think she's an amazing okay. model. Yes. Um, I know that again, lots of people still aren't and still don't like her, but I just think she's moved professional women forward so much. It's incredible. Yes. Um, I think I think that that would be lovely. But I actually would also quite like to work with people like Pink, people who have a huge influence through music or mm. authors. I mean, I I think a lot of people think leader corporate or leader political. Yeah. Whereas I think leader actually, let's look across social. What, mm -hmm. what are people, what are they singing about? What are they writing about? Yes. And so for me, it would be, it would be working with some of those sort of people. I'm like, actually, you know, I can see that you've got some stuff going on. Yes. Um, you know, there's a, there's a top coach who I won't mention, um, who lots and lots of people look up to. Um, and I actually watched a documentary about him and thought, oh, I can see, you know, three or four key issues you just have not resolved. What you've done is just suppress them. Um, so I think for me, it would be working with as many people. I look for influence. Mm -hmm. How many people are you influencing? Because, you know, again, actually, sort of coming back to the Will Smith thing, lots of people saying it's okay. And I'm saying, yeah, but actually loads of teenagers follow him. Yeah. And they're not going to understand the nuances and complexities of his wife's emotional state. And they're not going to understand any of that. All they've just seen is somebody that they know walk up on stage and slap someone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think for me, when I look at about who do I want to work with, it's people who have that influence. Comedians, yes. Yes. singers, yeah. authors, because actually their influence is probably millions more mm -hmm. compared to mm -hmm. the politicians. When you take away obviously the fact that they outrightly affect our lives in their political decisions. Yeah. Um, That's so interesting yeah. because it is, you, you tend to look at it, oh, you're only actually helping that one person, but actually no. the, the influence is so much yeah. greater, isn't it? It is. And, and the impact yeah. is so much greater. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've sold hundreds and hundreds of copies of my book. Those hundreds and hundreds of people haven't all come to work with me. Mm -hmm. But I do know that lots of them come back to me and said, wow, your book really opened my eyes. It really changed the way I think. And, and they're then passing that on, actually. Again, yeah. lots of people say to me, I bought your book and I've now bought it for a friend. Yes. And that was exactly what I wanted to happen. Yeah. How, how do I get this information to as many people as possible who may either not be able to afford to have any sort of counselling at all, because I've definitely been in that position, might not be ready to, yes. might just be starting that journey of, well, what, what, what is this about? How do I get into that, like you said, that awareness stage? And so for me, that's what it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if you listen to song lyrics, I remember listening to, just tuning into song lyrics a couple of years ago, and they were all about love and not being on your own and how can I cope, you know, I'll die without you. And I thought, this is an awful, awful message to send to people. I will die without another person in my life. So, so for me, when I think, well, it's those songs that we, we sing, but also we're singing them and they're just very slyly going into our unconscious. So what's yeah. the messaging we're giving? Yes. And when we have incredibly popular books, what's the messaging that yeah. that book is giving? Yes. Um, you know, I, I'm, um, I actually love the Marvel films. Um, I find them a bit violent, but I love them because I think there's always a lovely message in them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're always talking about, let's say, the emotional bonding of men or men starting to talk about, I mean, I thought the fact they made Thor in one of the films, you know, this kind of overweight, depressive, 
you know, I'm having a really hard time. I just thought, oh, perfect, like brilliant. <laughs> You've taken this kind of icon of masculinity yeah. and just gone, and he's also needs some help and he's a bit troubled. Yeah. So I love it when I see people who have influence using it, yeah. using it for, for greater good. Yes, yes. Very good point to, to end <laughs> our discussion about the alternative leader. <laughs> But one more question I'd like to ask you as we, <laughs> as we head back to the British okay. Library and uh, the sun's come out and oh, actually, lovely. isn't that blossom on the trees? Lovely, yeah, isn't it's it? beautiful. You're now based in, in Cambridge or have you always been? I've based always, in I was born in Cambridge, oh, okay. I was. So, London, what, how do you see London? What, what does London mean for you? London's interesting for me because the only times I've ever really come here, I either come to see musicals, yes. I love musicals, yeah. um, or I've come to study. So okay. I've pretty much always come to do a course. And so London for me, actually I get really excited. <laughs> I get really excited when I come to London. I get really excited on the train, um, mainly because I used to go and see my father as a child and I always went on the train, so train equals holiday to me. So <laughs> I struggle when people say, I hate my commute. I'm like, but I love trains. Yeah. Um, and I also talk to lots of people on the train, so I've made some really good contacts and friends on trains. But for me, getting into London is, it's a place where I get to be Mary and okay. not mum. Yes. Um, and, you know, I almost feel like my head is up higher and I kind of leave the cares of being a parent and all my troubles behind. And it's, for, so for me, it's quite a professional space. Okay. Um, it's a place where I can kind of step into my ambition. I can step into, you know, my future and my plans. And it's an exciting place for yes. me to be. So right. I actually love coming to London um, because it is almost, yeah, it's me being able to leave behind a part of me, which, you know, I love and value. But I am more parts than a parent. Yes. And true. so I get to step into kind of being myself. Okay. And that I love. That's nice. Well, there we go. London has a big <laughs> impact on it you. It does. Then. It does. <laughs> and so for 2022, what, where, where do you see 2022 taking you? You've got the book is out and it yep. has been for yep. a year and a bit. It has a year and a bit. And there's yeah. an audio out now as well. Oh, is there an audio? There is an oh, audio. Fantastic. Yes. I, I, I quietly released it and haven't yet sort of told everybody, okay, but so it is out. We can put that on the show notes for our podcast right. listeners to, to okay. uh, get a hold of if they want to yep. have a listen rather than a read. Um, but for 2022, where Lots, lots of plans actually. Yeah. So, um, like I say, I, I kind of toyed with it for a long time, but I'm releasing um, the parenting course that I used to run in person. I'm going to be releasing as a course that, that parents can work through. Because although I don't work with children anymore, I still do give a lot of parenting advice. Yes. And and if you are a parent, that's a huge part of your life and really affects your working life. So that'll be coming out. Um, hopefully, at some point, a course um, around building your relationships mm -hmm. um, to be better, um, possibly around communication, yes. um, and also a, uh, a sort of coaching course, maybe taking entrepreneurs um, who maybe can't afford to come and see somebody like me one to one, um, but where we're covering as much around sort of mindset and moving your emotional baggage as we are about touching on branding and, and business structure and things as well. Yeah. So, lo lots of things like that, and um, just sort of continuing to move up, do talks, um, work with more people lots of sort of exciting things really and one of my sort of personal goals which I want to bring into the work is I um, want to train to do to do breathing to be a breathing instructor okay because a lot okay. of the people I work with you know we do a lot in the mental but we, yeah. we carry a lot of stuff in our body okay. and it's um, something I've been having for the last six months and found quite transformative was breathing work just learning to breathe properly again yes, yes. Um, breathe from the diaphragm so that's one of my goals as well okay and on a very personal level mm. away from work totally do you ever get away from work totally <laughs> Um, so I love my garden mm -hmm. and so I love nature and so my plan is and again sort of partly combining business and 
professional. I'm, I want to open some retreats, okay. um, so where there's lots of nature, breathing, things like that, as well as the, the internal work. But for me, one of my personal goals was to get my garden sorted out, so okay. I can sit in my garden and really enjoy nice. that. I had lots of work done last year, so it's kind of finishing that. I'm, I'm, I would say my second happiest place is with my hands in the earth. Um, <laughs> is that I, your meditation? You know, yeah, I think it is, and I'm terrible. I mean, I don't know what's weeds and what plants. I'm, I'm not a perfect gardener, but I just the, the idea of planting something and seeing it grow is lovely. Yeah, and um, starting to travel. Yes. So starting to travel again. I've always wanted to travel. And kind of just during COVID, you know, A, we haven't been able to, but my children have kind of grown up enough where I can start to leave them yes. a little bit more okay. and start to travel. So that's my big goals for 2022. Fantastic. Wow, you've got a, a lot on offer. <laughs> I have. To do. <laughs> so um, where can the podcast listeners find you? So um, you can find me on my website, which is www.mary-williams.com. There's definitely the hyphen in there. So that's M-A-R-I-Williams.com. Okay. Um, you can also find me under that um, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, if you Google Mary Williams Mind Architect, I'll come up on multiple platforms. Yes. Um, you can find me on Instagram under Mary Williams Mind Architect or come through your show notes. Yes. Um, but, yeah. but if you kind of Google me, I think I, think I do come up on the first page. Brilliant. So okay, that should good. be findable. So, <laughs> is there anything else that I haven't asked you, Mary, <laughs> that you that you're dying to tell my podcast listeners? I don't think so. I think I guess my my sort of tip I always like to give a takeaway. Oh yes, would be to just find five minutes in the day to think about where you are in your life mm-hmm. and is your life the life that you want to lead? Um, and if it isn't, why isn't it? Yeah. And just start to live a bit more consciously, a bit more intentionally. You know, even if your decision is, am I going to have to coffee or tea? Just just pause and think about it for a moment. Yes. It's those tiny decisions that, that create the future that you have. So actually, just think about the decisions that you're making. And even if you look at your life and go, oh my gosh, I'm so far from where I want to be, it feels demoralising. It's not, because that's the first step to making yeah. the change. Wow, that actually, that actually is the trigger between habit, pausing and changing that mm. habit and mm. really thinking more in in the moment yeah. about what you want just stay stay conscious yes thank you mary that's fantastic oh, thank you for having me it's lovely <laughs> so to all you podcast listeners out there i hope you've enjoyed our discussion as we've walked around i don't even know what the, these gardens no. are called but they're very nice and people have been playing tennis around us Oh, we've been walking around them anyway. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and you've been inspired. If you have, please do share with your friends. Please do give the Travelling Through podcast a rating and review. That really helps to widen the, the network of people who learn about the podcast. And it's all about my guests reaching a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Also, please subscribe to the Travelling Through podcast. That would be fantastic. I think that's about it for now. Enjoy the rest of your week. There'll be another podcast coming out next week. But for now, take care and thanks for listening.